Hi everyone, it is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Welcome to TechTO Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. How SentML is benefiting from the AI chip shortage, how AI is now helping solve the housing crisis, and the Hyatt brothers decide to scale another business and make another investment. So joining me to help break all of this down, as usual, is Alex Norman. Hi, Alex, how are you? Great, can't believe it's November, but I'm doing great. I know, right? It's... uh. I can't even believe it's been October, Halloween. We're we're starting to be Christmas season. There's Christmas decorations going up in my neighborhood, which is insane. But uh, yeah, yeah well, your neighborhood I, must be more organized than ours. I, I walk around today, and the Halloween decorations are still up. Some people had these huge like spiders the size of cars, like inflatables, <laughs> like and they're still on the street. I'm like, I'm pretty cool with that. Yeah, it's funny. It's a good mix. There's some houses that immediately took them down and started to put the Christmas up. And then there's some that it's like right next door is all still Halloween. But uh, yeah, uh, I just cannot believe how fast the year has gone. Uh, speaking of which, good to have um, a little bit more news that we're talking about, you know, as we progress towards the end of the year and obviously looking ahead into 2024. So um, first headline I want to get into with you is the sent ML news and just how overall they're benefiting from like the AI chip shortage. So I know you'll dive into sort of what that means and the significance of that, but let's start with just what the news is there as well. Okay. So I think it was last week, uh, sent ML Toronto based announced they raised a 27 million USD extension round, mm -hmm. extension, sorry, extended seed round, not extension, an extended seed round mm -hmm. with participation from gradient ventures, TR ventures, which is Thompson Reuters, Deloitte ventures, Nvidia radical and a few angels. And just because, you know, I know you did emphasize the extended angle. So what's notable about the financing, but also what is extended? Because I know that's not something we usually yeah. hear. Yeah, so I hear of seed extension rounds. Those are net new rounds. Okay. This seems to be truly an extended round where they first, you know, the first time I've heard the term used, I think they originally announced their seed round. Mm -hmm. In June, if I'm correctly, and they announced they had raised three and a half million. And so now that's they're saying this round's on 30.5 million. And mm -hmm. so not very often you hear that. And that's a very impressive extension. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I could read, this round include equity and safe investments. My guess is despite this being pitched as an extended round, that most of those came on safe investments at a much higher valuation. And it might be just, you know, instead of calling this, you know, a seed extension and call it might be just there's usually extensions are result um associated with companies that haven't made enough progress to, to the get to the next letter round like the a round or b round so i've got an a extension so maybe this was in the fact on the valuation everything and usually extensions are very similar to the previous round so this feels kind of somewhere like more like an you know a seed or going to an A, but they didn't want to call it for A for a reason. So it's just very weird nomenclature, especially because yeah. it looks like safe investments, my guess, at a higher valuation. The other thing was I found interesting was to see the participants. Um, you know, especially given that this might be offsetting some of the demand for AI chips, there was NVIDIA. So, hey, NVIDIA sells AI chips. I don't know if there's a hedge saying, hey, if someone's going to make our chips less in demand, we'll, we'll get the upside on that. Um, meanwhile, you got Gradient, Deloitte Ventures, and TR Ventures, which are all corporate venture arms. You know, Google is Gradient, Deloitte's Deloitte, and Thomson Reuters, and they're all have very different objectives. So it's just interesting, so many corporates in here. And 
just to speak specifically about, I mean, we call it the, you know, the AI hype cycle, if you will, there has been a, a lot of specifics around this hype cycle and just sort of what it has been taking for companies to raise around even at all. So why in this case, were they, you know, able to dominate this hype cycle and also just raise such a large seed round? So um, I want to get back to the venture capitalism firms investment with takeaways, but like, let's talk about why this was exciting and why mm -hmm. they were able to admit, you know, if you look at the AI hype cycle, what do you want? You want a team that's very credible in knowing the future of AI. Well, this team was professors and PhD students from U of T computer science department, the department of Jeffrey Hinton, the, you know, the, the department that created the, the, the previous AI cycle that's gone into this one. So anyone that comes out of that faculty is, seems to have magic, uh, you know, pixie dust uh, sprayed on them. So mm -hmm. team, you got a very credible team from an AI research perspective. Um, then what they're doing here is they claim to improve the performance of machine learning models, meaning that they will require less AI compute and AI, therefore less AI chips. Um, perfect for a market that is short on AI chips. So like if you if you read about, um, you know, the biggest bottleneck in the whole AI revolution is we can only make so many chips so fast, and there's like way there's a there's a shortage of it. So hey, here's a solution for a shortage that's holding us back. And if you look, there's what we call what call competitors or comparable transactions. Uh, Mosaic ML sold for 1.3 billion. Um, another co potential competitor, OctoML, so has raised 85 million dollars already. So doesn't look like you know the value. But there's there's th upside returns and valuation too. Um, so and just give you an idea like why this is attractive. Like mm -hmm. you know going back to the second point here about the chip shortage. Um, apparently you know, they're selling $53 billion of AI chips a year and there's significant supply issues, right? They can't get them faster. You can't make more of them. So if you think about CML delivers on what they promised to do and they, they, they claim they can optimize and reduce your requirement for compute by 80%, um, there's a huge market to be captured and, and they're believable because it's pedigree. Right. So easily multi-billion dollar outcome if this works. And with every, you know, deal, obviously there are risks that are associated with this. So just what is something that the community should be paying attention to in terms of risks and also like from an investor perspective too? So um, I think the first some product adoption, there might be a perception risk. Uh, you know, I think developers believe that their algorithms can be optimize but saying hey we're gonna cut 80 percent here maybe this comes with there, there's nothing you, people lots of people that are very rational will say hey you can't cut 80 percent of my cost without seeing some detrimental effects of performance mm -hmm. and so they might have they may this may be too good to be true and have adoption problems because of that and you know which may make it hard to get the sales and have a problem down the road the other one i think there's a bit of a market timing um you're an ai hype cycle you are at a chip crunch so people are looking for ways to be more effective to need less chips and if you look back at the history of you know chips there's booms and busts where you know if you go back to covid we were shipping some people were just computer chips were in sh short supply because everyone was buying a new laptop or you know desktop for work at home at that point optimization software would probably be useful if you can come up with another alternative and then you went yeah. to a bust so all of a sudden the cost of chips fell and, and, and it was easy to get. 
and so even if you can optimize the cost, you know, cost savings wouldn't be as great. So there is, I believe we're in a, you know, going to be a boom bust cycle with those chips and how the economics impact how, you know, the need for efficiency may have an impact on the ultimate demand for them. And just, I mean, lastly, like, you know, you can keep this one short, but just do you have any final takeaways for, for our community around so this? Two, two things. One is the AI hype cycle still has a long way to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the second one is look at the venture capitalists around the table. You have a bunch of corporate venture capital arms. So, you know, I think we've mentioned a few times as this whole down was happening, the corporate venture capital arms seem to be very flush with capital and they're willing yeah. to deploy it. So you should be knocking the doors. I think also what's interesting here is I don't know what the valuation was, but corporate venture capital arms, depending on their incentives, are sometimes a bit less price sensitive and they want to be more to the for strategic reasons or other rationale. And so I think we're going to keep on seeing more CBC participation and founders would be doing themselves a disservice by not talking to the corporate venture capital arms. Okay. And to keep things rolling on the, the subject of AI, this headline in particular has really interested me because obviously it's very timely and something that we're talking about, especially in Canada right now around the, the housing crisis. So it's just related to a specific company that is using AI um, in a sense and robotics as well to help solve, quote unquote, this housing crisis and create more affordable housing. So before we dive into more of those specifics, um, can you just share high level just what the company is and what the news was around uh- Another Toronto-based company, Promise Robotics, announced a 15 million USD round led by Horizon Ventures, participation from Radical Ventures, United Brothers of Carpenters, Relay Ventures, and Elite Partners. And just, again, very interesting and niche, but what, so what is Promise Robotics? What do they do? Like, what are, what technology are they utilizing? So they're, they're using their combination of AI and robotics to mm-hmm. enable the, the building industry to automate housings using a flexible approach to automation. So like most people, when you hear automation, you think of like the robots on an assembly line for a car manufacturer, you've yep. got these hands, one's constantly painting, fume, fume, you know, like one's probably like riveting the doors on. Um, what yeah. Promise Robotics is saying is, hey, we've got these flexible robotic arms or robots and mm-hmm. it'll be trained by smart AI to basically take each bespoke project and find the best way to automate it. So, um, and, and as they get smarter, AI will make them more efficient and they, they can build and they're flexible enough to build a single unit to a multiple, um, multiple unit house. And so just in terms of the, like making more sustainable and affordable housing, I guess, like how would this contribute or I guess make an impact so, in, in this category specifically? Well, let's, let's pick the sustainability, which is okay. very important and, yep. you know, um, Hypothetically, using Promise robots will reduce the time it takes to build a house and the waste while building. So, like, because you know, using AI and mm-hmm. being very precise with a robot, there should be less waste. So, right away, reducing waste will, will make it more sustainable. Now, reducing time also reduces costs because what building being able to build something faster will, um, well, first of all, reducing waste will reduce costs, but also being able to build something faster should reduce the amount of capital required to build a house, um, which will lower the cost of building. So like, again, like if a house takes six months to build, someone's financing, there's an implicit cost of the capital tied up there. If you can do that to three months that, you know, you're freeing up cash, like even yeah. the most basic way, you're not paying interest on that, that capital. Now mm-hmm. the real 
my real like again i haven't seen any numbers here i don't know what the proposal are but like does this become more affordable comes with the trade-off you're making because you're now paying um look labor their labor costs are a huge component of building and there's a yeah. shortage and it's probably going up faster than inflation so to replace some of that with robotic abilities the question is how much does it cost to you know to rent the robot or pay for the robot to build a house versus what's labor and if it's significantly cheaper to have a promo a promised robot do it mm -hmm. you're probably saving money in the overall building of a house I think this also kind of ties back to what we've been talking about with AI around just re the replacement of the human aspect within a lot of these roles and sort of bringing AI or robotics or things like that into it. So I think that would be an interesting point to circle back on just in terms yeah. of the cost between the two. Is it you know more efficient to have like a physical human, but also deal with the labor shortages or the impact of dealing with scheduling with a person versus actually getting that technology instead. Well, just just a quick question to replacing humans. I think there's two yeah. different costs. There's there's two different ideas generally. One is I think that's just where my mind went yeah. around this. But but like and, and I'm happy to just get off you know scheduling you know questions and say like mm -hmm. when you come to using any technology to replace humans, I think there's two ways that, that happens. Maybe yeah. three. One is is this cheaper or more efficient? So let's, yep. you know, so that's one. And the other is, which I think is unique to this time is, do we, can we, do we even have enough humans to do it? And I think in the housing market, you, you've got, what you have here is, there's a shortage of skilled labor across North America to even build all the houses that we need. So even there's if we have all the capital, demand. there's so much demand, we can't yeah. build them fast enough, right? So, so mm -hmm. I, I think, and I think you're gonna see that, and well, maybe this is one of, we had this probably in a takeaway, but like, I think there's a growing tailwind for robotics combined with AI because there's a future labor shortage. You go to trucking, you go to lots of, you know, more manual, tougher jobs. People haven't trained for them. People don't have the skills. So if you can take AI to make robots more flexible and they can replace humans, they're not replacing humans. They're, they're actually providing service for where they couldn't be now for replacing humans. That's a whole, like when there's an ample humans, let's say like writing, um, yeah, it'll happen, but I think, you know, the market there, it, then it comes to like, it's a trade-off between cost and quality and what, where the best return on investment is for, for a business. And I think it's a different calculus than like, just like, I don't think we can build houses quick enough right now. Right. Yeah, we can't. There's, there is uh, not enough supply and way too much demand. Uh, but thank you for, I guess, just maybe highlighting a little bit more about, about that. Cause it was something that was on my mind too, just regarding the, like the human aspect of it. Yeah. So in terms of, um, just the home building in general, um, have they built houses already? Where have they been so building houses? From what I've seen, it looks like they've built in the Northwest territories Okay, and they're now planning to build, I think, um, like a plant with a bunch of these robots to build houses in Alberta. Mm -hmm. Um, I find the Northwest Territories fascinating. It's, it's actually a no-brainer that you know most founders wouldn't think of. Um, don't know if you know anyone living up north, mm -hmm. but the cost of everything is significantly more. There's lack of labor, mm -hmm. and, and and the logistics of getting anything there is makes everything so more expensive. So yeah, difficult. If, yeah. So and I'm sure it's like everywhere else in North America, there's a shortage of housing. So the, I guess the best place to train, it, you know, where, where does the where's the most acute problem right now? Probably Northwest Territories. It probably costs three times the cost of building a house in Toronto. I made that number up, but even yes. if it's twice, 
the robots don't have to be as efficient and, and they can cut their teeth and train the AI and still make, make it valuable to the, in the Northwest Territories as opposed to Alberta. So, you know, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens in Alberta. Yeah, I would think where it would be more isolated would probably be exactly, yeah. as you said, a better place to test this. Um, so again, your perspective, obviously this is solving a extremely relevant problem or helping contribute to the solution in a sense, uh, but why else would this be attractive to, to an investor well, or anyone that's listening? You know, I think at the high level, any anyone that's listening to this knows what a big opportunity the housing market is to build mm -hmm. new houses, right? So if you can be cost-effective, the leader in building these and also have an ESG angle that is a no-brainer investment, you know, if you can scale up and make the margins. The one I found most fascinating from investors, United Brotherhood of Carpenters Investing. Never seen their name on a cap table before. And again, yeah. you'd believe to some extent that these could be, you can argue in the long run is competitive with their, with yep. their, with, for carpenters, probably in the short run, if they can help build houses faster, probably creates more work for carpenters. So it's just interesting to see that, that, that investor at the table. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, we shot out a bunch of takeaways already. I just think from the points we mentioned, but are there any additional ones that you want to highlight for anyone that's listening? Well, I think we're starting to see a new robotics investment wave. Um, goes back to what I said about AI. So traditional robots, they could automate, they weren't smart and they weren't flexible. So they're built like, you know, get back to the you know, car manufacturing that hand that comes out, uses sensors. Okay. It's time to paint the side of the, the car door. Now what you're seeing is AI teaches robots how to be responsive to the situation and be more flexible. And the, and the technology of building robots has increased to make it more flexible. So I think you're going to see AI plus robotics combined to see a lot of new startups invest that get funded in the robot space. And it goes back to also the, the labor shortage in many industries. So there's a need for them. There's the capability. The why now is there from an economic perspective. The why now is there from a technology perspective. I think we're going to see more and more, discuss more and more robotics-based companies. Um, I also, going back to what I said about, I love how promises, they found hypothetically geographic area to customer with the biggest pain point that was yeah. willing to pay the most for it started there. And then they, so they could get that wedge into the market and probably drive costs down for more competitive markets. Very smart ideas. Very smart idea. And again, making an impact on something that truly affects every everyone. And uh, I think that's also what we found to be successful oh, with. Riley, I, I thought you were, you know, you had seven or eight houses already, so you don't need any more. Unfortunately, no, <laughs> that's not the case. I feel like if, if anything, for, for my age group and generation, it's become even harder to approach the subject of purchasing a home and you know, there's a lot of support is needed, obviously, but it's a whole other can of worms. To even just talk about the the demand and the supply that's even available for the demand. So um, this one was an interesting one for me. So thanks for diving a little bit more into it. Maybe one day I'll have seven or eight houses. That would be great. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Today's episode is brought to you by Float. Say goodbye to the old way of managing spend. Float smart corporate cards allow you to spend, track, approve, and reconcile all your Canadian and US dollar expenses in one simple to use platform. Float's physical and virtual cards are backed by customized spend controls and real-time reporting to help you manage your company spend. You can set up instant reminders to easily text, email, or upload receipts as soon as a purchase is made. It also has the ability to be directly integrated with QuickBooks, Xero, and NetSuite, making your month end a breeze. To learn more about Float and how they can support your business and financial goals, go to floatcard.com. 
last uh, headline uh, on the docket here. So um, Hyatt Brothers are scaling a new business. So just, I guess, a couple preliminary questions to just kind of start it off. So just maybe keep it short what the news is, but also explain who the Hyatt Brothers are for those who, who may not know who they are. Uh, well, you mentioned the news. We'll get into the details in a few minutes. Um, mm -hmm. So two brothers are Michael and Richard Hyatt. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say they're two of the most successful Canadian tech entrepreneurs. Um, they previously founded, scaled, and sold uh, Diadem and Blue Cat for a total of more than $800 million combined. Like Blue Cat sold uh, twice, uh, once for $400 million and $700 million. Plus mm -hmm. the second time they owned, a, I think, all of Blue Cat. The first time it sold, they kept minority share and so they made 4 million plus on blue cat and i think diadem signed sold for 100 million plus so two successful outcomes i think more or less bootstrap both the last two companies have been lots of investors so they know how to start companies and how to scale companies and how to exit companies two you know two 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 brothers i'd want on my side yeah i was gonna say safe to say they pretty much know what they're doing at this point yeah. and have a pretty successful track record so uh so what um i know it's something a little bit different than we've seen from them in the past so what is it that they're they're working on right now so instead of starting from scratch they're trying something different they're acquiring a majority stake in uh data stealth the mississauga Cybersecurity company let then a bit of context here um michael's been an active investor in the ecosystem um so you know i'm sure he has tentacles out there is probably asked for advice and saw this opportunity uh data self helps a large enterprises protect data via product suite that basically is very simple to install it then analyzes the, the enterprise data and then it finds what it believes is sensitive data and then encrypts it or tokenizes it or mask it so the most sensitive data so basically if there's a cybersecurity breach. Someone gets a hold of your data. When they look at the most sensitive ones, it's gobbledygook. It means nothing to them. So it it reduces the impact of a of a of a cybersecurity issue. Right, and I mean clearly, them as a pair obviously have a pretty good understanding of where they should be investing, or I guess contributing their time. So I guess why was this attractive to them? Why did they decide to invest in this specifically? So my my guess is. Very simple, the market and the company. Um, cybersecurity is going to be only more important as time goes on. Our lives are getting digitalized. Yeah. The key, you know, you've heard that, you know, data is new oil. And so the protection, but the problem with data, and I don't like the new oil analogy, is it is important to growing your business. And there's a lot of sensitive information. And, you know, if that information gets out there, it really impacts the company's reputation. Impact they probably get sued. So, and the trend here is more data stored, more attacks on them. So, just it's a market that's growing. And I mean, it was also it, a, go on fair point what you mentioned about how um, not to cut you off, just how like life has become so much more digital or or digitized. Like especially after COVID, everything that we're doing is online. You know, from banking to even just our keeping our passwords in one place. So uh, just, again, I just think timely. Sorry, you can continue. Yeah, no, no, no. I love that. Um, and another thing is the company. This is a mm -hmm. rare startup uh, with 35 customers, 10 million plus revenues, solid growth, and profits. And what when when the Hyatt's came in, they had one large outside investor. And we'll get back to, to that. Um, and the product also seems to be a clear winner as it seems 
to be very easy to implement and see results. So lots of times it's like enterprise cyber, just enterprise software mm -hmm. in general, let alone cybersecurity, it can take six, 12, 15 months and there's a huge implementation process. This seems to be pretty simple to implement. So you got a company that's growing quickly, has a nice base of revenue, is profitable and, and has only one outside investor. It was attractive. And just in terms of the opportunity around this investment, I mean, um, I don't think it was as simple as maybe it has been in the past for them in terms of an investment. So how did they they get this opportunity? How did it, I guess, come together for them to be able to invest? So don't have all the details here, what order, what happened in, but it mm -hmm. seems like that one out, large outside investor, um, as part of his investment, he had what's called a shotgun clause. And that, and you know, that's a clause that allows either party to say, I'm going to buy you out at X. And then the other party then can either have a choice of buying out at X or making the person that made that offer to actually stick to it. So what happened was the management team and this investor did not agree on the future vision and which, where the company should be headed. So one of them pulled a shotgun clause that was used to purchase the shares, uh, the shares of the outside investor. And then the company's uh, basically management team sold, turned around and sold some of that ownership you know, to the Hyatts who will be active active investors. They'll be board members and Michael's gonna help with sales. Right. Uh, Richard's gonna help with the technology. So, you know, it was very interesting to see how this happened. And just lastly, to kind of, you know, sum it all up, um, obviously we kind of chatted about, you know, the, our life is only gonna become more digital yeah. and it already has become so, so digital in terms of cybersecurity, it's just going to become more important. So, what else besides that makes you know any interesting takeaways or makes this particularly so, interesting for anyone? Uh, you know, we, uh, other than that one, I think one you know when founders raise money, they typically focus a lot on valuation and explicit controls. So they say, what you know, how much am I selling the company for? What price and what that what's that make me worth? Then they look at stuff like, okay, what can I do with and without the board permission? Can I hire this person? What can I pay myself? And I'd say most founders time to, you know, read other stuff, the drag along clauses, um, all these other stuff, which I think is templated, which they think they understand. And I think it's pretty benign. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need, you know, just a reminder that founders need to understand all the clauses, like in this case, and so do investors, right? And I think in this case, it helped the management team because, like, you know, but like, and, and shotgun clauses, I don't think are as common as, you know, if you read a Global Mail article, I think they make it sound like it's pretty common. I don't think they're pretty common. But it, as a founder and investor, you should understand what the meaning of any of those clauses are, especially the less experience you've had. Because any, you know, the more experience you've had as an investor, the more times you've found it, you understand the ins and outs because you'll probably see them play. But make sure you understand what's your contract and how it can be useful or damaging to you in the future. Um, then I have saying once an operator, always an operator. Uh, the reason that we talk about serial entrepreneurship is that lots of operators sell their company, have a very successful exit. Then they find that they really miss building stuff. And I'm not sure that's the case here with the Hyatts, but it sort of fits that narrative that yeah. you know, they're not going to be you know, full-time operators, but they seem they're going to be pretty active. Yeah, there's always going to be a need for some kind of involvement aside from the investment piece. So, um, yeah, I think that's those are great takeaways. Uh, just before we go, uh, just a couple of events, pieces of news that I want to share. So we have 
an event very soon, actually, on Monday, on November 6th at uh, Rotman again. So it's our, our premium event. We have, in my opinion, I think some of the best speakers. I know you can probably share a little bit more about who's attending and who you're excited for. But um, November 6th, we have an event at Rotman. Again, tickets available on our website. Oh, I'd say Amar Varma. Yep. If you haven't heard Amar talk, you have to come and listen to talk. This guy has investment companies. Scale companies, soul yep. companies has a new one. I think he's, if you want someone who understands tech in the Canadian ecosystem, you have to come here on Mars speak. Anything I, I missed, Alex? I know there's a no. few, few coming up. I, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, um, on that note, Alex, thank you as always for thank you, Alex. break it down. No problem. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. And we will be back in two weeks with another edition of Tectio Quick Takes. And until then, we'll see you on the inside. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.